Hello, hope you guys are having a wonderful day. Welcome to episode number eight of Listen, titled Take Number Eight. What is our role in sustainability? I'm your host, Rupal Goyle, but you can call me Roops. This is a show where I give hot takes and social commentary on topics I really have no business giving hot takes about, but I do it anyway. Each week, I cover a different topic with a super cool and qualified featured guest. Last episode, I sat down with my friend Connor to talk about popular and quite ridiculous conspiracy theories, and we came to the undeniable conclusion that Keanu Reeves is indeed immortal. This week, I'll be chatting with Dr. Jeff Hales about his work in sustainability, his career journey, and the role of business and ourselves in sustainability initiatives. We even managed to incorporate a few good Star Wars references. My guest this week is a Georgia Tech accounting professor in the Scheller College of Business, one of my absolute favorite professors, Dr. Jeffrey Hales. Apart from teaching financial accounting at all levels, he was previously a research fellow at the Financial Accounting Standards Board, the FASB, and has served on the FASB's Financial Accounting Standards Advisory Council since 2016. In addition, he has worked with the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, the SASB, since 2013, and currently serves as chair of the SASB's Standards Board. He is also a member of the Climate Disclosure Standards Board. So what I'm really trying to say here is that when I start every episode by saying that I'm going to be talking to a super cool and qualified featured guest, well, I really hit the jackpot here. Now, without further ado, let's roll. Hello, and with me today is Dr. Jeff Hales, a professor at the Scheller College of Business. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hales, a professor here of accounting uh, at Scheller, and uh, it's wonderful to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. You know, a lot of the professors that I've talked to in the past have asked, like, are you going to put Hales on here? And I was like, done. Check. Lowe especially, so you can thank him for that. You know, he's uh, he sets a high bar, so uh, <laughs> I hope I can live up to his expectations. Oh no, he was great. You're going to be great too. But I, what we wanted to talk about today was sustainability, um, your work in sustainability, and especially how you got there. So, you know, this is a passion for you, and this is something you've pursued for a while, and you're really good at it. So how did you end up, you know, choosing a profession in an area like this? Yeah, it was one of those things, like many things in my life, I think, where uh, it had really a lot less to do with how I found it and more just it finding me and uh, uh, and being, I would sort of characterize myself as being like reluctantly available to opportunities in life. <laughs> and so uh, it, this particular one came because um, uh, I was actually, I'd taken a year off from Georgia Tech and I was uh, teaching in France. And um, it was at a point in my career where I had kind of had some success and so things were going well and I was then less stressed about my own research, but had been so focused on my research and teaching and doing well with my job uh, for so many years that that when I had this time to be sitting in France, um, uh, and maybe it's something about that existential environment, you know, of Paris, uh, but just thinking like there's got to be something that's bigger than than just my own selfish research and, and professional objectives. And I want to dedicate myself to something, some cause, you know, and not just any cause. I mean, there are a lot of great causes, but, but to be able to, to 
give to something that uh, you know, is more than just my time and my money, you know, but really the ideal would be something that actually needed something that I knew, it's some special, something about the fit what I happen to be good at. And, uh, and I had no idea what that would be, but then, you know, while I was metaphorically sitting there in France with my feet up in the air and kind of wondering like, what can I do that's bigger than me? You know, uh, <laughs> then uh, the phone rings and, and it's this woman, Jean Rogers, and she says, I am starting an organization that is dedicated to improving corporate disclosures on environmental and social issues. Uh, it's going to be called the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, and it's about helping the capital markets to uh, uh, get better information about what companies are managing these risks and opportunities well and which ones aren't, with the hopes that all companies will then manage those issues better. And I said, it's like, sounds fascinating. I'm probably the wrong person. I don't know anything about this. I just like, I know regular accounting, you know? And, and, and so, you know, luckily, Jean is, uh, is an amazing woman that, that is a, a visionary and so had this idea and she is also so inspiring and so convinced me to, to be involved early on. Uh, so this was in 2013, um, not long after she had established the, the, the nonprofit that, that houses uh, the work there. And, and so it so really brought me in pr pretty early on to be involved, and so I've, I've stayed involved for a number of years now. That's so cool. Usually my introspection is sitting in bed being like, what's Rupal Goyle gonna do for the rest of her life? And you were in France, like, got an opportunity. That's so neat. Yeah, you know, and it, again, it wasn't something that, that I could have anticipated and wasn't something that I immediately embraced when it came out. I was very skeptical along the way, but, but it seemed like a good opportunity. And it really had arisen out of other opportunities. Like when I, when I first moved to Georgia Tech, I had, uh, this is sort of the, the, the dark underbelly of my professional career, which is that like I was very unsuccessful to start off with. You know, I got a great job uh, at the University of Texas, and then I proceeded to be unable to publish for years while I was really? there yeah and I was so stressed and 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 really you know depressed with the, the my, you know the prospects of my career thinking like I just might not be able to do this and Texas eventually said we can't keep you and so I was looking around and the opportunity at Georgia Tech came up and so I came here and uh, and within the first 6 months of being here I did actually have you know some of the papers that I've been trying to publish started to go through but then the, the scary thing that happened is like this opportunity to go uh, be a research fellow at the Financial Accounting Standards Board came up. And when I first had that, uh, so basically I was at a conference and, and I was approached by a board member at the, at the FASB and he said, hey, you know, you should consider applying to this research fellowship. I think you'd be great at it. And, and I was like, I don't know. Like I've literally just moved six months ago yeah. to a new city trying to like, you know, establish myself at a new school and, and make making friends, you know, again and uh, and trying to find a life there. And you're asking me to in, you know, within six months from that move and uh, and be away for a year. That just it seemed like I just moved, you know, it just seemed like not the right time. Yeah. And I was pretty close to saying no, no, you know, but luckily there were some very convincing people that said why don't you do this? This is a good opportunity. And so the, the, uh, 
the reluctant uh, you know, acceptance of, of that opportunity led to you know, a dramatic change in the way that I think about my teaching and my research by bringing me so close to those standard setters. And I'm, I'm sure that's like one of the main reasons my experience with FASB was one of the main reasons Gene called me. And so again, like I wasn't looking for that opportunity and I wasn't bold enough to embrace it, you know, when it, when it came up, but I was uh, sort of reluctantly willing to try it. But at what point in your career did you see things turn around? Because, you know, like the big scare for us recent or like, you know, college grads, like I'm graduating in May and I have no idea what's going on. Like, I know I'm moving to New York. I know I have a job. But after a year or so at this job, like everything is very uncertain and like the future is very weird. So how did you how did you grapple with, I mean, that initial in your mind, that initial failure? And then how did you get to that success? So one of the things that I struggled with, and maybe it's an easy thing, a common thing to struggle with, was that global employability is really what you care about in the sense of like, you know, you want to consider all the things you might be able to do. But it's very hard to see that when you're in the midst of local uncertainty. And so if you're in a particular job and you're not sure about this company or this position or your own performance, like in the middle of that, it's hard to take a step back and think about all of the skills and the network that you've acquired and how many opportunities there might be out there. And I guess by analogy, I, I would think back to something I'm sure you can relate to, which is uh, some of the conversations that I have with students around you know, specific exam performances. Now, this wasn't an issue with you because you were an amazing student, <laughs> no, but, um, but, but for some, like they get so stressed about one particular exam or assignment, and, and I try to like walk them back a little bit on that and say, you know, this is just one part of just one course of all the courses you're taking this semester as part of a larger pursuit of education and career opportunities that are going to be much bigger than this. And so, so you know, it's good to be concerned, but you want to keep perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's that trying to keep that larger perspective that can be hard. And that I definitely struggled with that when I was at Texas. And luckily, you know, when, I, when I came to, to tech, um, and this is pretty common too. It seems like you know you, you you take that next position, that next opportunity, whether within the same company or another company, and uh, and very often like people are excited. They just hired you in. They've just brought you to this new thing, and so suddenly it's like, okay, actually, you know, the resolution of uncertainty and being embraced by people that are excited to have you there it just makes, you know, it makes life good. And I was I was really excited. So you know, but it's just trying to keep that perspective is a, is a big issue. That's true. So now I want to know what's you were at the base of the SASB. Like you were there when this woman called you up and was like, "I'm making this org." So what is the SASB and what's your involvement with it? Yeah. So so SASB it's the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, and it's a, a nonprofit with the the mission to uh, develop and maintain standards that would help companies communicate with investors on environmental and social issues. And so uh, I think of it as like the the next stage of of reporting so maybe the way to think of it is like uh, regular accounting standards 
are really good about thinking about what is an asset and what is a, a liability. So, you know, what what's something that a company has right now and what's something that a company owes right now. And so those boundaries are set for assets and liabilities and how they change and that's earnings. But just beyond the boundaries of what a company has right now and just beyond the boundaries of like what they owe right now are those risks and opportunities of tomorrow. And and so that is where regular accounting standards kind of stop to a degree and say, well, you don't have that yet. So it's not part of your balance sheet, you know, and earnings yet, you know. But market values, capital flows in the marketplaces depend on investors figuring out what companies have the best opportunities and are they managing them best you know, for the long term. And, and so that's where SASB can step in and say, well, let's develop some guidance around these issues. We know that environmental issues create real risks and opportunities. Human capital, social capital are, are things that can affect a company's value. And so let's develop some uh, let's identify topics depending on what the business model is, and let's think about metrics that that could be comparable, so that you know two companies like a like a Coke and Pepsi would be talking about the same sorts of things, and and then doing that in a way that companies could or investors could actually help them to benchmark that that performance uh, in a way that's comparable. And so that's kind of what SASB does. The the gist of it is really it's a we have a materiality matrix, and so you can think of this as. Um, we look at, broadly speaking, issues around environment, human capital, social capital, opportunities, but it's 26 different issues. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's in depth. Um, so like, it could be greenhouse gas emissions, could be energy management, water management, uh, you know, labor force issues. And, uh, and rather than just looking at just what might be important for those 26 issues, we actually then look at that specifically for each major industry in the economy. So we have 77 industries that we've developed standards for. And that creates a 26 by 77 matrix, which if you do the math quickly is 2002 data points in a sense. So what we do is we kind of say like, well, which issues for which industries because of the business model that they're in. So the easiest way to kind of think of that for me is to say like, we think climate change creates real risks and opportunities for almost every industry that we looked at, Mm -hmm. but in ways that are pretty different. You know, if you're a healthcare company, that's very different than if you're an oil and gas company. So we try to identify what are the risks and opportunities, and and they can you know relate to issues around actual physical risks to uh, company resources or changes in the way that that economies work or what customers are willing to buy, or or what like regulations might um, uh, be imposed uh, or you know sort of force changes in the way that companies do business. So that's what we do. And my role with SASB um, early on was in the development of the provisional standards to just kind of watch what the team was doing to see if they're using good due process. Um, you know, who are you talking to? Are you talking to companies? Are you talking to investors? Which ones? You know, what are they saying? But not having any decision-making responsibility over that. And then uh, after the development of the provisional standards, we restructured to look more like a traditional standard-setting organization where there's a board that votes on content. And uh, so that board was created, and uh, uh, I was um, asked to be part of that first standards board. And so I, uh, since last year, have uh, chaired that standards board. So. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Doing cool things. No, I love it. 
Like, little did you know when you got the phone call that you would be chairing the standards board like that. No, I, I literally had no idea. And, um, and to be honest, uh, as the organization continued to evolve and, and get traction and, and more support and more uptake, uh, it's been really exciting. But I have thought repeatedly at different times, uh, I've had this conscious thought in my head like, oh, this is probably my last meeting with SASB. Like, I think, <laughs> I think they've sort of outgrown me um, to a degree. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, like, uh, you feel a bit like, when I look back at it, I feel like a character in a movie and, and where you, you know, like think of, uh, was it was it Ray? So Ray in Star Wars. Yes. Uh, you know, where, you know, one one moment it's like she's just, uh, you know, a really nobody, a bit of a, a bit of a troublemaker, you know, yes. and next thing you know, she's she's leading uh, a whole the resistance. The resistance. So um, she's the head. Yeah. So it's 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 been that sort of pace of change and, and unexpected nature, but it's been fun. Yeah. I love it. That's so cool. So, I mean, looking at the bigger picture, what's the responsibility, I guess, of big business and corporations when it comes to sustainability and ethics and climate change? Like, what's what's our role? Yeah, you know, I, I think you can look at this from a couple different perspectives. And one way to think about this is, is just through the lens of like a moral imperative. Like, what is it that we ought to do? And I actually think that that's something that that does drive uh, a lot of employees to want to do better, right? Do the right thing, you know, uh, to say, you know, I, I could just dump this chemical into the ground and I don't think it would be more than what would be allowed and, and I don't think anybody would notice. And, and, and so probably it's fine from that perspective, but it seems wrong. Mm -hmm. And so they look for a better way to do that. And, uh, and, and I think that, that that's important, but um, but I think even beyond that, you could say like even if you if you didn't have that moral imperative to do what's right, uh, I think there's a fiduciary responsibility to to actually manage businesses well for the long term, and and so that means that you know you need to take care of the most important issues, and you know for me I think there are lots of things that. That make us feel better, but but really making, trying to focus on things that will make the biggest differences are, are most important. And uh, and I do get a little frustrated sometimes when I, I look at the the way that businesses talk about what they're doing. There's greenwashing uh, around like, oh we're so good because we, you know whatever it happens to be because we got rid of straws. And I'm like, yeah, well great, you know that you got rid of straws, um, but 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 this. Is there a more important issue, maybe? Like, you know, like, uh, is child labor an issue in your supply chain? Right. right. You know, are you a huge uh, consumer goods company that yeah. has a major supply chain issue? So, um, uh, so, so it, it's it's that kind of thing. Like, you know, you can you can companies can't do everything, but they ought to be doing the things that are most important. And and climate change is one of the ones that is like really important. In my view, um, and the science on this seems to suggest that like we don't have a lot of time, actually. No. Uh, and so, you know, I already used a Star Wars analogy, but I could <laughs> do it again. If I can use another one. I mean, to me, 
climate change is is of the scale um, by analogy of like the building of a Death Star, and you know you can see it being built. You know that it's an issue, but if no one rises up, um, and then the problem here is like we're we're building it and we're pointing it at ourselves, and uh, and it's so it's it's important that that we act and. Um, um, you know, while we while we still have time, it's so sad that that analogy is so accurate. Like we can see it; the scientists are telling us what's wrong, the policymakers are telling us there's a problem, and we're just like, well, along for the ride. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like going sorry, going back to like Ray again. She's trying to convince them that they they need to go and and get the what was it in the when she's talking to the the the, the council of the like the rebellion yes and, and nobody wants to go they're like the, it's it's no it's ridiculous listening. yeah and they're just like oh it's you know we're doomed if we try there's not enough support you know we're not even sure that this is you know that that, that there's really going to be um the flaw or whatever yeah. like the you know that you the, say the plans be, yeah. yeah uh and it's 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 just kind of like those just enough seeds of doubt and, and a lack of coordination to to cause nobody to want to act. And then it, then you get like this this momentum. You get actors moving. Yeah. And, uh, and for me, it's really right now what we're seeing is major long-term institutional investors. The, they are saying, you know what? We own every stock that's out there. Some of these these very large institutional ones, owners. Yeah. So if we do, we can't. We don't get to choose to not hold some of these stocks. So like, we need all companies to be managed better. And yeah. uh, and you have major pension funds saying like, we have people investing in us who are going to need money in twenty, thirty, or forty years. Yeah. We, the best thing we can do is make sure that the companies are managed well over that longer term horizon yeah. in order to do right by the people who have invested in you know our products and so uh, they're taking notice and as they take notice that's causing companies to really respond as that's well that's true i mean vote with your wallets vote with your people wallets. people are aware when it hits your wallet more than if you just speak into the void well thank you so much for speaking with me that was really good so we we hit don't sweat the small stuff the one exam isn't gonna Sink you for the rest of your life. Sweat the big stuff. Sweat the big to have some introspection. Think about like what you want to do, where your passions lie. And I think for me, especially, like I think about it, you know, we put so much stock in grades and GPA and like the success and all of that kind of stuff. But if you chase success, it doesn't end as well as if you chase the passion and what you're good at. And then once you do that, success will follow. So I think you're a great example of that, which is really nice. But thank you for talking about sustainability. I mean, everyone, we all have a responsibility um, to think about that. And especially, like I said, vote with your wallets. Know what you're going into. Do your research and do some good. Absolutely. So thank you so much again. Everyone have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll cue the music. Thank you. After hearing all of that, I hope you guys take some time to introspect and reflect on our role in sustainability and what we can do as people to keep our home, the earth, running smoothly. Thank you so much for joining me this week on Listen. Make sure to visit our Twitter page at Listen With Roops, our Instagram at Listen With Roops, or our Facebook, which is also, you probably guessed it, at Listen With Roops. While you're at it, because I crave validation and thrive on it more than anything on this planet, 
feel free to shoot me a comment, like, review, whatever you want. If you want to tell a friend about this pod, that would also be a really big ego boost and I'd also really genuinely appreciate it. If you're a fan of The Bachelor, check out take number 8.5, The Bachelor Banter Finale, where I talk to my good friend Lauren Evans on the side about the most recent and final Bachelor episode. This limited run of Bachelor-themed additional episodes has hit the end, so if you were ever listening to those, thank you so much for joining me on that ride. Again, thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your week.